Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today I have a very special guest. This person is one of the first ever listeners of The Stacks. She is someone I have relied on for book recommendations for years and years. She is known to most people as Sue Thomas, but to me, she's mom. That's right. In honor of Mother's Day, our guest this week is my mom. We are going to be talking about getting your kids to read, our shared love of books, as well as one book that we both adore, even though we know it's super problematic. My mom will also be our guest on May 27th when we discuss our May pick for the Stacks Book Club, The Giver by Lois Lowry. And as is always the case, everything we talk about on today's episode can be found in the link in the show notes. Okay, let's do it. All right, mom, ready? We're going to do this. I'm ready. Okay. Um, So are you nervous? I'm a little nervous. Don't be nervous. It's going to be fine. Um, You don't have to talk about a book you wrote because you didn't write a book. So you have to do is talk about the books you like. That's easy. Okay, so we're going to start where we always start with everybody. I, you know, spoiler alert, I know a lot of these answers, but I'm going to try to pretend like some of this stuff is new to me. So we'll start where we always start. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, kind of where you are now, just a little background. Okay, so I was born and raised in Southern California. I grew up in a little suburb of Los Angeles called Inglewood, which is right where the forum is and the airport I went all through school, through high school in Inglewood, and then came up to Northern California to attend Cal. I ended up staying. I liked it here so much that 45 years later, I'm still in the East Bay. I live in Oakland, where Tracy was raised, and um, it's home. Great. And what did you study at Cal? I was a history major, which meant you read, oh, 20 or 30 books each quarter and had very little time for anything else. Um, do you are any of those, do any of those books stick out to you that you remember that were really great that you read? Uh, no, they all sort of just <laughs> just blend into each other at that's this good. point. College was a very long time ago. Yeah, that's fair. I was just curious. And you don't do anything with history now not anything. Actually, never really did. I started 
teaching a little bit right after um, college. I was a student teacher for about one semester, did not like it, and never went back. What, what did you teach? I taught elementary school uh, out in East Oakland. And one of the things that I just, I just didn't have the patience for it. Mm. I preferred being around adults, to be honest with you, especially at that time. Yeah, that's not something that I would want to do. I mean, shout out to all the teachers out there because you guys are the real heroes, but I could never be in a room with little kids all day by myself. And yet here I am with two little kids and I'm just waiting for them to get to school age so I can give them to someone else to to teach them things. Tracy is doing an amazing job with the two most beautiful, identical twin boys, okay. smartest all right. little boys. All right, in the all right, world. all right, all right. This is enough of that. This is so embarrassing. Um, okay, this is what happens when you let the grandma come on the podcast. So she gets like weird about the babies, as those of you who have babies and grandmas definitely have learned. I did not anticipate this. Um, let's go back to talking about you and reading and less about small babies that. I own. Um, I guess I don't own them. Small babies that I know. Um, okay. So I want to know how reading was a part of your life when you were a kid. So we were raised on books. I am the baby child of four, four kids in a family. And my father came over from Russia. He was an immigrant and he always felt like education reading knowledge was the ticket to success in America. So we were pretty much raised with very little TV, very little social um, distractions. And our whole youth was spent reading books. And it was really a gift given to me that I then felt very strongly about passing on to my children. And it's pretty much what I know. Did, do you remember any of the things that your dad read? I don't. Um, okay. I'm just curious. I, I'm just so curious about like what the kinds of things that we like to read are and if those things are influenced or directly responses to what our parents read, you know? Right. I think they probably are. I mean, I think there was probably uh, a direct correlation, but I don't have a recollection of exact books. My my father and my mother were both very fond of um, history, and the Kennedys were very much a part of our life. Um, I not, was personally. <laughs> not, not personally. Not personally, but I remember them reading a lot of um, political books, a lot of history books. Um, probably where you get your love for nonfiction so much. Yeah. So I come by it honestly, as you might say. Um, Okay. So then you felt like when you had kids, it was important for you to read to your kids or to have books be a part of your kids' lives. How do you feel like you did that with me and Brady? Well, we always uh, made sure that you guys had a book in your hand, tried not to have you be babysat too much by TV or games. Nintendo was very much a part of that era. Um, And tried to instill a love of reading to you. And I just remember so many times 
you kids being up at the swim club and all the other kids running around and um, playing ping pong and you and Brady both having a book in your hand. And I was proud about that. It made me happy that you were just a little bit different than some of the other kids. Did you feel like you were purposefully trying to make us readers or do you think that we just were naturally inclined towards reading? No, I I think there was an intent. I think it's just like you're doing with the boys now at four months. You're reading to them now. I think you do some of it, um, not so much that you're, you're planning it, but as a result of your behavior, it just naturally happens. Right. Because like now as an adult, I recognize that you read a lot, but I don't remember you or dad like reading a lot when we were little. Was that were you were you guys reading when we were little? And I just don't remember it. I think when you were little, it was a little bit harder, certainly for me to find the time to read that I now have in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, you know, I worked a 40 or 50 or 60 hour week, as well as raising two little kids and trying to get you to and from ballet lessons right. and, you know, baseball practice, et cetera, et cetera. So I think my uh, reading got quite interrupted during that period. And most of the reading that I did when you guys were little would be when we were on vacations or late at night. But, you know, in exchange for sleep, I'd probably put the book away. Um, so it it was very interrupted while you were young kids. But I think you always saw me with a book in my hand. Sure. Like, I remember there being books in the house, but I don't necessarily remember, like, you guys reading them. Do you know what I mean? Like, I know yeah. that we had books. And, like, I know I had a lot of books. Like, I remember I loved, obviously, Charlotte's Web, still one of my absolute all-time faves. Right. Um, and I liked... What uh, what's his name? Roald Dahl. I loved like James and the Giant right. Peach, and I remember right. Beatrice Potter. Like I remember books from my childhood, but I don't necessarily remember other people reading. But I don't even really remember Brady reading, and he must have been too. Like I think maybe when you're little, you just remember your own life. Well, I think you still have your Beatrice Potter books. Don't I you? do, I do, and I I have those, and I still have my Charlotte's Web, my copy. And do you remember a teacher? At Hillcrest, yeah, Miss so Rivera, Miss Rivera, and Miss Staniford. Yeah, well, Miss Rivera was teacher. my second grade teacher, and right. she was like obsessed with Beatrice Potter. Right, but but Miss Staniford was the one who turned you on to Number the Stars. Yeah, and, well, that's yeah. we read The Giver, which we're going to read at the end of this month for the book club. We read that with Miss Staniford. Yes, she did. She was wonderful influence on you. Yeah, she was great. She was a real freaking hero. Um, yeah, again, let me is. just shout she's out. She's still there. Oh, she is? Yeah. Brady ran into her one day. Wow. Yeah. Well, I got cheated out of her because she decided that she wanted to have a kid during my fifth grade school year. So she left halfway through. I remember that. We waited five years for you to get Miss Standiford and then she went off on maternity leave. I know. She was like, I want to have my own life. And I was like, why? (laughs) You have my life. Why now? (laughs) You have my life in your hands, lady. No, that was, but that kid's probably like fully in college. I know, right? Yeah. I mean, out of college. That was like 20 years ago. I was like 10, right? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm only 16. So it was only six years ago. Um, Okay. Back (laughs) to reading. Do you remember other books that you read to us or books that I liked as a kid? You liked a lot of different kind of books. Um, I think you, you and Brady both 
pretty much took over your own reading by about first or second grade. Oh, wow. Um, so we did a lot of reading to you when you were little, but once you could read, you pretty much read to yourself. Oh, and do you have, if you were going to give advice to, let's say, a young, mo- a young mother who is wants their children to get into reading, or I guess a young father, a young parent who wants their child to get into reading, what would you say is like your best tip? Like, what do you think is the thing that you did that was the, the best that helped get us into reading? I think exactly what you are doing with your little boys, which is from the minute that you start with them, you have a pattern, you have a process, you have something that every single day remains the same. And before they go to bed, you take the time to read to them. You listen to them during that time and you make it a real um, special time an interaction and they will become readers just because of the joy that 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 special time brings. That's nice. Okay, let's fast forward to now. How is reading part of your life now? So I have always been a reader and I am back to reading a lot more. One of the things that has changed in my life that's made me more of a reader is about eight years ago, I actually finally, for the first time, joined a book club. And I wanted to join a book club. I just never quite had the time. I was working. I was raising kids. And so with my retirement, I joined a book club, which I really enjoy because it's taught me a little bit better how to analyze books and how to talk about books. So that's given me a kind of a new uh, passageway to books. So I read at least a book a month for book club, and then I try to fill in with things that I choose to read throughout the rest of the month. So this is where you and I differ, is that I have never wanted to join a book club in my life because I hate other people's taste in books. Right. (laughs) Like if I'm going to read a book, I want to want to read a book. I don't want to have the pressure of someone else who I don't really expressly taste their or trust their taste, you know? But the thing I think that helps me with book club is it gets me to read things that I would otherwise not touch. And with my book club, it's okay to not finish. There are many books that I've gotten about halfway through and said, this is not worth my time. I don't care about these people. I don't care about this story. I don't like this author's writing. And I will put it down. And that's okay. You can come to the book club without having finished the book. Um, But I do like that it gets me to read sort of different topics than I might have chosen on my own. That's fair. So I want to shift a little bit. So we do this thing called Ask the Stacks, um, and it's where people write into the show and they ask for book recommendations. Um, if you're interested in getting a book recommendation read on air, you just have to email us at askingthestacks at gmail.com. You send us what you're looking for, maybe a few books you like or didn't like, and then um, myself and my guest will give you a recommendation live on air. Um, I say live, but this is obviously not really, it's live for us right now, but it's not really live. It's taped. 
So we're going to talk, we're going to answer Charlene's Ask the Stack. So this is what Charlene says. It's a little bit long, so you'll have time to think. She says, my favorite kind of book takes me on a long-term journey through a life and makes me want to highlight it, though I will never mark up my books. I love a strong emotional connection with the protagonist and a moving storyline. I want a book to inspire strong emotion so that I think about the book later and also feel that feeling, whether good or bad. In the last couple of years, my best reads have been Shantaram and A Little Life. I also want to add that I love the podcast, and because of you, I've been reading 50% nonfiction in 2020 with plans to keep it up. Previously, I would read only one nonfiction book a year, so this is a big deal. Um, so yeah, that is a question from Charlene. Um, I'll go first, Mom, and then you can go. This will give you a little time to think. So Charlene, my first answer for you is actually nonfiction, but it reads like fiction, and everyone I've ever recommended it to is like, I can't believe this book is real. So it's called Jesus Land by Julia Shears. It's the story of her life um, as a young girl. It's a memoir. So it's of, as a young girl in Indiana with her parents and her two adopted brothers. She's a little white girl. They adopted two black boys. And then the parents send them to a Jesus camp. And it's a story of kind of abuse and, and siblingship. I don't know if that's a word, but it's a beautiful <laughs> book and um, it, it's incredible. And if you read it and you don't feel an emotional connection to Julia Shears and her brothers, like, I, I mean, you don't have a heart. Uh, my next book is called A Long Way Gone by Ishmael Bea. He uh, was a refugee. I, I'm going to fuck up from where he was either from Sierra Leone or Sudan. I cannot remember. I think it's Sierra Leone. Um, and he um comes to America and it's his story of being a boy soldier and in Africa and then coming to America and his it's just like a gut-wrenching book and he actually has a new novel that just came out um at the end of April it's called Little Family which I haven't read but he's a phenomenal writer and a great storyteller and so that that's also nonfiction but you ask for fiction and I'm I'm going to give you one it's called Home Fire. It's by Camila Shamsi. It's a book that we did on the podcast in January of 2019. Um, so you can listen to the episode afterwards. Um, but the book is incredible. It's a modern retelling of Antigone. And it's a family story. And I don't want to give anything away, but it is so, so, so good. So those are my three recommendations. Um, Mom, your turn. Well, I, my thought is The Great Alone. It's a book by Kristen Hanna. And it's a coming of age. It's a fiction, but it's a, a young girl's story um, of her having to move to Alaska with her parents. And it's really quite good. Okay. So those are your those are your suggestions, Charlene. If you read any of them, you must, must, must email me back or um, slide into my DMs or something. Let me know what you thought of our selections for you. Also, for those of you who want to have an Asking the Stacks read on air, please email askingthestacks at gmail.com with your name, what you're looking for, things you like, things you didn't like. Um, keep it short and sweet, and then uh, we'll read your stuff on air. Okay, moving right along. We're going to go straight to the Stacks questions. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. So we always start here. Two books you love and one book you hate. Okay, so the first book that I want to mention is Infidel. Um, it is written by Ayan Hirsi Ali, and it's her story. It's an autobiography. She's raised as a Muslim, and it's kind of her critique of um, Islam and how she 
ended up leaving her religion, her home, and it's done through a feminist point of view. It's really a good read. Okay. The second book that I would recommend is Becoming by Michelle Obama. And I like the fact that it keeps you focused on your dreams as you grow up and as you experience life. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a good book. I feel like I had I took issues with the book because I felt like it because of who she is, it's like pretty guarded. And I feel like she could have dug a lot deeper into some of the, um, you know, the kinds of racism that we all saw her experience like in real time. You know, since the book came out so close to her being the first lady, a lot of her recent history, we all saw and had opinions on. And I wish that she would have chimed in more about some of those like treacherous moments. Um, I loved learning about her past, but I just felt like the more recent stuff, I was like, yeah, Michelle, why aren't you really talking about the the things that they called you? Like, why aren't you really calling some of this stuff out and saying like, this is insidious. And even myself, the most, you know, well, well-regarded black woman to a lot of people was receiving this horrible vitriol, you know? I do agree. But one thing that she did do, and I think she did really well is show her youth Um, growing up on the south side of Chicago and how she made her way. Um, I liked liked the storyline for young women growing up, having a focus, um, seeing a way to make their dreams come true. Yeah. I mean, I this is going to sound like really small, but my favorite part of the whole book was finding out that she failed her bar on the first time. (laughs) <laughs> I just really like that because she's so perfect to me. I feel like she's so right. perfect that I was like, yes, right. Michelle, you failed right. something. Good for you, girl. Right. right. So I right. really like that. Graduating from both Princeton and Harvard, it's hard to imagine she failed ever. Right. But she's just, I mean, yeah. And, and my she, critique of the book is not of her. Like, I love the book and I enjoyed listening. I listened to it. I enjoyed it a lot. But I just felt like I wished... As a black woman, I wish that she had spoke more about some of that stuff because I feel like that's what I want to know. Like, I want to know what it was really like to be Michelle Obama. And I feel like she gave me a book that was much more palatable for people who just like what like they like she gave us a kind of like a Jackie O book, you know, like like Michelle Obama is so perfect. And like, yeah, I had hard times, but like I came through and so can you. Everyone can be the first lady. And I didn't want that. I wanted her to be like fuck Fox News, right. keep my name out of right. your mouth. Perhaps perhaps her next book will be more of a platform for that. Because, yeah, we'll I mean, clearly she needs to talk about it. Yeah, like, I want to hear that. I mean, she has her documentary is coming out. I think it comes out actually the day this episode airs. And it's on Netflix. And it's called Becoming. And it's about her book tour. And I think that will be really interesting because we'll be able to see how people respond to it. But my fear is that it's also going to just be like, everything you said was so great. And your book's so perfect. And you're my hero. And all of those things are lovely and true. And she's definitely one of my heroes. But I'm just waiting for her to come out and be like, stop talking about me. Right. And stop sugarcoating what really went down. I hear you. I agree with you, sweetie. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle 
whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. What's a book that you hate? So this book goes back to the 1980s, but I've always hated it. So it's stuck with me. It's called Bonfire of the Vanities, and it's by Tom Wolfe. And it's about New York and excess, and it's a bond trader. And, you know, I I read the book. I felt like I was way too invested to put it down. So I went ahead and finished it. And as I finished it, I said to myself, I don't care about these people. They were rich, they were conniving, they were white, they were privileged, they were everything I don't care about. Yeah, it's definitely like a good old boys classic. Exactly. Um, What's the last really great book you read? So this one you're not going to like, sweetie, but I decided that my favorite book of 19, I mean, uh, 2019 was Where the Crawdads Sing. I don't dislike it. I've not read it. I just, it's like everybody's favorite book. It was really good. And I also really kind of like mysteries and it has this very mysterious, uh, you know, subplot going on that I couldn't put it down. So it's really not a great book, like, you know, classic great book, but it was certainly my best read last year. Still looking for my best read for 2020. Is there what's been the best read so far in 2020? Well, last night I just started on Stamped, and I can tell you I'm really going to like it. Um, but too soon for me to know what my best read for 2020 is. Okay, well, that goes nicely into my next question, which is what are you reading right now, <laughs> which is obviously Stamped. And I just want to give a shout out to myself because I gave you my signed copy of that book. I know, and I am going to take very good care of it. But I, re- I started last night. I didn't get too far, maybe 50 pages in, but I love his writing style. I love the, the sort of comic relief, you know, in his tone. I like how edgy it is. I like how street it is. I think it's going to be really fun for me to read, although a dark topic. Yeah, it's really good. They do a really, uh, Jason does a really good job of um, keeping the book really approachable and readable and not letting like the horrors of racism bring the reader down too much without sugarcoating it. Like he definitely tells you the history, but he doesn't, um, 
he doesn't necessarily amplify like the deep, deep horror. So it's kind of it's like easy to get through, even though it makes you think a lot. Exactly, exactly, which is, you know, perfect for young adults. And I'm loving that there are writers who are able to share um, the horrors of racism and um, so that so that young people can hear it, so young people can digest it, so young people can um, analyze it. We cer- I certainly didn't have that in my youth. I didn't and either. Yeah, it's just starting to be that way, and it's great. Right. I mean, I also feel like when we were young, I mean, when I was young, and definitely when you were young, there wasn't really such thing as this, like, YA genre, like this this author who is like, I don't know, I feel like that's like a new thing. Like, I feel like I was reading books for like, kids, sure, but then also books for adults when I was younger. And there wasn't this like specific place for teenagers. Yeah, I I think that your young adult books were a little bit more um, Nancy Drew. Right, like for like uh, kids, like, yeah, they call that now middle grade. That's what they call those kind of books. Oh, now. okay. That but those were sense. like, it was like there were kids books and then there were adult books, but there wasn't like books for 16 year olds. Yeah. Necessarily. Yeah. yeah no, he does. He does a wonderful job of, of speaking to that market. Yeah. He's brilliant. And everybody knows that I love him. So <laughs> there it is. Um, okay. What are there any books that you're looking forward to reading, either books that you have that have been on your shelf for a while or things that you know that are coming out soon? So one of the books that I believe you gave me this Christmas was Nickel Boys. And I have it on my list. I would like to get to it very soon. But before I can get there, after I'm done with Stamped, I have to move on to a book for my book club, which um, our pick for May is Hollow Kingdom. I'm, I'm not sure if I will like it or I won't like it, but that is the next one on my list. I've never even heard of that, but great. <laughs> great. Have fun with your book club. Um, Nickel Boys is amazing. That was one of my favorite reads of last year. Oh, what's a book that you really like to recommend to people? So one of my favorite that I like to recommend is The Nightingale. And this is another book written by Kristen Hanna. So I obviously like this author. It's about two sisters who lived through um, the French resistance during World War II. And um, it's very moving. It's historical fiction. Most of it, I think, is based on history, but there are some inaccuracies. But I really love this book. I've never read Kristen Hanna. I know you really like her. I do. I'm surprised how much I like her. Do you think that I would like her? I think you would, but you know, it is, I mean, it's historical fiction, but it's, you know, fiction. So I, I always worry about that with you because sometimes you don't think it's worth your time. It's a great point. Okay. <laughs> Less about me, more about you. Um, what's the last really good book someone has recommended to you? And this book was recommended to me by my daughter. And um, I was um, spending quite a bit of time with her in the first six weeks the boys were born. Um, Unfortunately, the pandemic has kind of altered some of that. But um, Tracy recommended that I read the Kelly Corrigan book, Tell Me More. Mm. And 
I absolutely enjoyed it so much. I learned so much. Um, I thought I understood grieving and sadness and death. And I got to see it through her eyes. And I think I learned so much more. Yeah, I love that book. I think it's so good. Um, I always tell people this. I always recommend it and tell people not to freak out when they see the cover because I think the cover is so like not what the book is. The cover looks like it's going to be advice about like asking for a raise and like right. <laughs> like how to get a guy to date you. And it's right. so not that. It's like a, it's about when her, the, the year that her best friend and her father both died in the same year and it's like about grief and and I don't know it's just really really beautiful and I cried so hard when I read it um, me too and she handles it so gracefully yeah shout out to Kelly Corrigan yeah are there any things that you wish were different about your reading life absolutely um I spend way too much time with distractions um, so I wish I did a better job of putting my phone away, turning all my distractions off and just sitting down and reading. But unfortunately I get on social media and then I start playing words with friends and, you know, get distracted. And then I look up and I've wasted 20 minutes. So, um, my focus this year is to just leave my phone in the other room and sit down with a book. Yeah, I put my phone on airplane mode when I'm reading. It's so smart. That's and what I, I set a timer because sometimes I fall asleep. Often I use books to put me to sleep. So that's not always a bad thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I'm reading like in the daytime, what is your ideal reading setup? So I love to just grab a couple pillows, um, lay down on my bed, sit up on my bed and read or transfer that same position to my living room couch or to my um, deck outside. I have a couch out there that I puff up the pillows and sit down and read. You're so normal. Everybody else says things like uh, exotic beach or like a cabin <laughs> on the top of Mount Everest. And you're like, my bed, my couch. Um, do you have a favorite bookstore? I do. So in Montclair, which is the little community where I live, there is a little neighborhood book called A Great Good Place for Books. And um, I like to go in there because the owner of the bookstore um, sort of knows my tastes by now. And she usually gives me fabulous recommendations. Yeah, she's really good. I like to go there too when I'm in town. Um, and she always has really good recommendations. And I just... I feel like right now with all that's going on in the world and independent bookstores, it's like, I feel like we can't give independent bookstores enough love these days. Um, and I'm going to just do a quick plug while I have a second because independent bookstores, um, we've changed the show notes on this podcast. Um, so for those of you who've noticed, when you click on a book now in the show notes, it'll send you to a website called bookshop.org. And they're great because they give a portion of every sale to independent bookstores. So if you're shopping for books, what what's nice about it is that they don't put any of the pressure on the independent bookstore to fulfill the order. They actually do it through a warehouse, but they still give a portion. So you can support your bookstore, still get your books quickly. They have discounts. Um, so 
if you're shopping, click through the links in the show notes or else just go directly to bookshop.org. Um, it's just a really great way to help support independent bookstores in this exact moment of craziness, but also hopefully as we move forward. And then the last little thing I'll say is that also in the show notes, you're going to find a link to save indie bookstores. It's a website that if you're so inclined and you're able to donate and you're looking for a place to donate, you can donate to um, this organization that's helping to send money to independent bookstores to keep them open. That's my little PSA. Um, back to you, mom. Uh, <laughs> okay. Do you remember the last book you purchased? Actually, I buy most of my books. Um, there was a period when I would read off a Kindle. Um, Brady gave me one for Mother's Day maybe 10 years ago. And for a couple years, I would read off the Kindle. It was easy to stick in the suitcase. It wasn't heavy. But one of the distractions that I didn't like about it is I couldn't share it with my friends. Mm. And and I so often like to hand a book to a friend and say, you should read this, that I went back to buying books. Yeah, I've been reading more on my Kindle because I can read it at night Um when the babies are asleep and I'm in there in the room with them, but I prefer a book. Yeah. A book is nice. A book is nice. Yeah. You also get to go back and look up the characters. You know, if you say, which, which one was this? Well, you can do that with a Kindle, but the problem is that you don't know how to work technology, specifically you. (laughs) Specifically me. (laughs) I am a dinosaur. Sure. I didn't say all that. I just know that you have no idea how to use your Kindle, probably. I can go forward. I can't go back. Great. Well, now that you don't use it anyways, you're fine. But I mean, some things are perfect as they are, like a book. Like I mean, the Kindle is a great thing, but it's not a book. It's a different thing. And it's great. And I really like my Kindle. And I never thought I would say that because I'm like pretty anti. I thought I was pretty anti e-reader, but turns out I actually feel like there's definitely a place for them and shout out to them. But um, a book is a book. A book, a book is the thing. Oh, okay. So this is like our little lightning round. So I'm just going to ask you, you just have to tell me kind of the name of the book. You don't have to go into detail. So what was the last book that made you laugh? I love Bill Bryson books. And the one that probably made me laugh the most is A Walk in the Woods. Okay. The last book that made you cry? The Nightingale. Okay. The last book to make you angry? Lots and lots of books make me angry. I hate the injustice. I read a lot of Holocaust books and I get very angry. Um, I read a lot of books with racism, homophobia. I get very angry, but the absolute last book that made me angry was just mercy. Mm, That's one of my favorites all time. Yeah. And I read it because you referred it to me and I'm so glad I did. It was so well written. Yeah, it's so good. I, I'm just in love with Brian Stevenson. He's just such Me a too. hero. <laughs> Me too. What's the last book where you feel like you learned a lot? I'm going to go back and refer to that Kelly Corrigan book. Mm. Because even though I thought I knew how to handle grief and um, I thought I was comfortable with it, the way she handles the grief of her father and her best friend, um, is beyond. And I, I feel like I learned really a lot and I think I can be a better friend um, when I'm faced with same situation. Are there any books that you've read that you feel embarrassed about? Oh, is there ever? I have a whole decade where I only read Danielle Steele books. Mm. And I don't know, you'll probably remember, but I do. W- when the kids were little, we got 
we'd we'd spend almost every summer on a big, huge family vacation that always included the beach. And so Daniel Steele was my go-to for um, laying around the pool or on the beach and kind of mindless books um, that I probably spent way too much time on, but it was what I needed at the time. Mm. Do you have any books that, like, can you think of a book that you're embarrassed that you still haven't read? There's lots of books that I haven't read that I'm a little embarrassed of. Um, So I'm not a huge reader of the classics. You know, you'll never, you have never heard me say, oh, I just loved War and Peace or Crime and Punishment or, um, you know, it's just, I like to think I'm going to read them and then I never get to them. Do you have any favorite books from when you were a kid that you like to read that you remember? I, I do. Um, I think my favorite book from my childhood was Gone with the Wind. Ugh, love. Love. Do you like the book or the movie more? Book. Always like books more. Okay. I like the movie more. I mean, the book is great and I love the book, but I have so much nostalgia tied up in the movie because I didn't read the book until I was like in my 20s, but I had probably seen the movie 50 times by then, you know? Right. Right. Well, I read the book first. Right. But also the costumes in the movie, oh my God. the white and green dress and then the red dress at the at Ashley's birthday party, like those, you can't, I mean, you can describe a dress all you want in a book, but when you see her in right. like Vivian Lee in that green and white dress with the big hat at the picnic, like right. I don't care. There's not a better dress in all of cinema. Thanks. You're right. I mean, in the movie, I mean, think how handsome Rhett Butler was. I don't know that I had quite that image of Rhett Butler from the book. Right. But yeah, I mean, the the movie was fabulous as well. Yeah. I mean, obviously, all of this goes to say, like, we get it. It's super fucking racist. Like, we get it. But like, (laughs) I I just I will never apologize for loving Gone with the Wind because it's just one of my favorite movies and one of my favorite books. And I'm sorry that I loved it before I knew about how terrible everything was. But I probably still would love it. I don't know. I feel bad because I feel like I, you know, I on the show, I try to be like social justice and all this stuff. But Sometimes you have problematic favorites, and that is definitely my problematic favorite book and movie. It's a classic. It's a classic. It's a classic, and it's a big old mess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like Uncle Tom's Cabin. Same thing. Right, but Uncle Tom's Cabin does not have beautiful costumes. No, but I read that as a child. I got the point. Um, It it made a difference in my life, Uh, but it's not politically correct. (laughs) Right, and I feel like – I mean, it's hard because sometimes – there are books that are older that we talk about and we like kind of tear them apart for all the ways that they're racist or sexist or homophobic. And then there's some books that we allow like Gone with the Wind, which I'm like allowing to be really racist. But part of it is also that you have to remember that these books, these older books are like kind of um, freeze frames of what the thinking was like at that time, you know, like at that time, uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin was like pretty progressive in a lot of circles. And now we read it and we're like, this book is trash. Like what? It was um, totally, I mean, it was written in the 18, what, fifties or sixties. It was totally progressive. Right. But like, you know, when we think about it now through the things that we know and like the way that we talk about race now. Um, so 
I guess, I don't know. I'm just trying to defend Gone with the Wind because I shouldn't. I should just say that I'm a garbage person for <laughs> loving the book and I recognize that it's bad, but I just am trying to defend myself because I don't want people to hate me because <laughs> I'm pathetic and I want friends. I think you're right, though. You have to look at the era um, when it was written. Right. You know, it. I mean, it, it can't be a 2020 um, consciousness written in the 1850s. It just can't. Or the, you know, the 1900s. It, 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 it is different. Right. Right. And there's like, I mean, I think that there's some balance between like calling it out and also re- appreciating it for the moment that it was in. Um, I mean, I definitely think that Gone with the Wind is also probably pretty racist at the time it was released also. Like, I don't think that I don't think that Gone with the Wind was ever progressive in any way. Like, it definitely was racist at the time, like with the Mammy character and like oh Sam God. and all that. Like nobody I'm not pretending like Gone with the Wind was some progressive book. And then now yeah. it doesn't hold up. Like, no, it never was. I just like yeah. it. Because again, but it was a childhood favorite. Exactly, exactly. Okay, can you think of any books that you loved that were assigned to you in school? Yeah, so I gave this quite a bit of thought, and um, when I was in elementary slash junior high school, I remember really liking Profiles and Courage. Of mm. course, um, the Kennedys were, you know, very timely then. Um, in in high school, I remember reading Malcolm X and feeling like my whole world was changed by this book. Yeah. And um, I think those two books probably made the biggest impression on me throughout school. Yeah. Um, I feel like I should say this because people are probably listening to you and I talk about books and hearing a lot of the same books that you're saying are books that I've said. And I have to, full disclosure, I get a lot of my book recommendations from my mom and um, a lot of my most favorite books, like books, even books that you didn't necessarily recommend to me, but books that we've both read, that we've both loved. Like I think about The Joy Luck Club. I know we both loved that. And The Kite Runner, you recommended to me, and we both loved that. And A Thousand Splendid Sons, and we both loved that. Um, and I think we both, I think maybe, I can't remember who told who to read it. Maybe Oprah told us both to read it. But we both loved that James Fry book, um, A Million Little oh Pieces. Oh, my God. I haven't thought of that forever. Love that book. I love hated, that book. Hated, hated when we got busted on that thing. I didn't. I don't care. It was still a great book. He should have just was. called it fiction, and everybody would have been happy, and it would have been a great book. Exactly. I haven't thought about that book for so long. But yes, we do have a lot of similarities in our reading. But I think it's also we have a lot of similarities in our thoughts, you know, our justice, our injustice, what's fair, what isn't fair. Sure. Yeah, no, that's true. We're family. Well, some people aren't like (laughs) some people are the opposite of their family. Yeah. Thank goodness that our politics and our thinking processes are similar. Yeah. Okay. I just have a few more questions for you, then we'll skedaddle. Okay. Can you think of a book that you would want to assign to kids in school? Yeah, I thought about this. And actually, I'm going to go with Barack Obama's Dreams of My Father. So good. I I think it's so important. Yeah, we're big. We're big Obama family friends, family, family fans. And I'm pretty sure that if Sasha and Malia wrote a book, we would want to recommend that too. Absolutely. Because I love Sasha. I'm pretty sure they can't do anything wrong. Well, that's not true. They can definitely do Sasha Malia, probably not. But Brock did some things that weren't great. But honestly, now at this point, it's like hard to even remember the bad things he did (laughs) because we're in such a shit show right now. Like, it's like I try to think of like, oh, 
remember when I was upset about this? And then I'm like, I can't even, I can't even muster the upsetness, but he definitely did things that were shitty when he was president, unfortunately, but I still love him. Remember when we actually even thought George Bush was embarrassing? Well, George Bush was a fucking asshole and I don't. Yeah. But in comparison. No, he's still garbage. No, he's still garbage. George Bush is getting this rewrite because he's like not as stupid, allegedly, as Trump. Exactly. But exactly. he was garbage and he destroyed so many people's lives. And we've been in a war for like 20 years. Like, I'm not giving George Bush not a single drop of credit just because well, Ellen wants to be friends with him. Like, no, hard pass. I'm a, I'm I, I do not take on the George Bush rewrite. This is where our politics do not align. I am I am anti Bush and I'm anti Trump. I'm still anti Bush. I know, but I'm comparison. not giving him the rewrite. A lot of people okay. give him this rewrite because because he was better politically. He was still just doing his just as bad of stuff to people. Right, but he was doing it more intelligently. Well, no, he was doing it more. <laughs> he was doing it more within the framework of how our government works. That's true. But he, but he was also not very smart, if we all remember. No. We used to make fun no. of him about how dumb he was. It's so stupid. That was like part of his brand was that he was dumb. Anyways, last few questions. Can you, since you said that you think that the book is always better than the movie, can you think mm-hmm. of any movies or TV shows where the movie is better than the book? I rarely think that the movie or the TV show is better than the book, but I do have one that I think is equal to, and that is Just Mercy. Um, loved the book, but I really did enjoy the movie, and I thought it still did the book quite uh, nice justice. It didn't step on the book, and it still came to very good conclusions, very strong uh, storyline. It was good. I, I'm going to have to disagree with you there also. <laughs> I thought the movie was cute, but like I thought like the book was profound and life changing for me and like really altered my whole worldview in a way. And I felt like the movie was like very Disney like it because it was the movie couldn't incorporate all the work that he's done since. So it was just that one storyline. And I feel like that one storyline doesn't really take on the scope of what Brian Stevenson, who Brian Stevenson is and what he's been able to accomplish and like what work we still have left to do. Do you know what I mean? I do. And again, that's why the books are always better. Yeah. Let's do these last two. Now, for real, I keep saying that, but these are the last two. What's a book where you saw yourself reflected back? A Year of Magical Thinking by Joan Didion. I read it at a time where um, your father had just passed away. And in this book, she loses her husband while her daughter is gravely ill while she has some medical setbacks and it was heartbreaking and helpful, restorative to me. And it really, really was an important book. Yeah. It's an incredible book. I think about it a lot though. I've never actually wanted to reread it, but I do think about it a lot. I think I'm ready to reread it. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you do let me know how it goes. Yeah. Well, this is some of what I've, um, been able to walk away from kind of going through all these questions and rethinking my reading um, is that there's a lot of books I'd like to reread. Do you normally reread? I don't. And that's one thing that I think I'm getting out of this process of sharing this podcast with you is that there's really some books worth rereading. Yeah, I just started rereading because of this podcast also. And I found that 
it can be really valuable. It feels like kind of, I sometimes feel like as a person who likes to check things off my to-do list, like one of those kind of people, I feel like I'm not always um, moving forward, you know, because I'm rereading something. But then whenever I reread something, I end up really liking it. Not only that, if there was a really important point that the book made the first time, it just reinforces it the second time. Yeah. Um, Here's a tip. I don't know if you, do you ever listen to audiobooks? I don't. And I'm going to start because when I walk so much, yeah. I was thinking, why am I listening to music? Why don't I do audiobooks when I'm walking? Yeah. I sometimes listen to podcasts when I'm walking, but once I've caught up on all my podcasts, I'll do audiobooks. But one of the things that I like to do, especially with something like, um, like a memoir is I like to, for my reread, I like to do it in the way I didn't do it the first time. So if I read the book the first time, I like to listen to it on my reread. What a perfect tip. Thank you. Um, Okay. Last question. Here it is. We always do this one. If you could require the current president of the United States of America to read one book, what would it be? This one was easy because this is one of your favorites. I would recommend that he read that Pat Tillman book, Where Men mm. Win Glory, yes. by John Krakauer, and because he should know what a hero looks like. Yeah, that's such a good book. Oh, my God. That book did not get nearly enough attention. I thought that book was incredible. I used to like walk around and hug it and like sleep with it. I just loved it. Okay, so before you go, we're going to just remind the people at the end of the month, May 27th, You and I will be back to discuss The Giver by Lois Lowry. There will be spoilers. It is a young adult, middle grade, kind of like in between right there um, book about a utopian society. There will be spoilers. It is one of my all-time faves. So in honor of having my mom on, I thought we'd go back and read a book that I read when I was a kid. So read that, be prepared. It won't take you long. It's a young person's book. So it's, it's a quick read. Um, and we won't say anything else about it until then. But uh, mom, is there anything else you want to say before we go? Well, since this uh, recording is in honor of Mother's Day, I do want to say that I'm so very, very proud of you, Tracy. You're doing such a great job with this podcast and everything else in your life with your, right, with your boys with having a husband on the front lines, you are doing an amazing job. Wow. Thanks, mom. I didn't even tell her to say that and I'm embarrassed, but thank you. That's very nice. And if you want to edit it, I'll kill you. (laughs) And there it is. My mom, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Mom, thank you so much. And everybody else, we will see you in the stacks. Thank you all so much for listening and thank you to my mom for being our guest. She will be back on May 27th to discuss The Giver by Lois Lowry with us for the Stacks Book Club. Find everything we talked about on today's episode in the link in the show notes. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. Make sure you're subscribed to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagiragis. This podcast was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas, and I will see you in the stacks. <laughs>